Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. That's great. Before we start, let's, let me just pray for us. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for the, uh, the message that, uh, that you have in your word for us. Thank you for the saving work that Jesus did for us. Thank you that you do not leave us, you do not forsake us, but you call out to us, you call out to, to everyone to turn to you, to come to you. Help us to listen to what you have to say to us this afternoon, Lord. Help us to focus on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, today we, we meet up again uh, back in the book of Jonah. We've reached chapter three. and uh, We're going to look at what happened. What did the people do? What did God do? What did Jonah do? And uh, at the moment we're, we're looking in on, on Zoom. Uh, we can smile and wave. But sometimes we don't see very much of what God is doing. And uh, as a way of starting, this is a, something I came across recently about uh, an, uh, uh, an event not that long ago. I can vaguely remember these. Um, in the 1970s, uh, God sent a, a preacher to South Korea, Billy Graham. You may have heard of him. And one of the meetings he was preaching to over a million people. More than 10% of the population of uh, Seoul, the capital city, attended. And over the, over the following 10 years, the proportion of Christians in, in South Korea rose from less than 5% to over 30%. About, about 12 million new Christians came to the Lord in just a few years. Amazing move of God bringing bringing people to himself. Not, not so much a, a revival of a small group of believers, but a, a new work of God, bringing new life to a country, bringing people to himself who, who didn't know anything about the gospel or Jesus until these days. Now God changing people's hearts on a scale beyond what we can think or imagine. It can barely, barely even imagine a million people at a single meeting. God can do more than we can think. And, and, and so it was in, uh, in Nineveh. 
and we shall also come back to South Korea a bit later as well. We go to the next uh, slide, please, Jonathan. Meanwhile, back in the Middle East, this is a, a quick map of where, where Jonah was uh, getting up to. Uh, in the previous chapters, we heard about uh, Jonah not being the most obedient when, he, when God called him to, to go to Nineveh, which was a big, important city with a reputation, a bit like Berlin of, the, uh, of Hitler's 1930s or Stalin's Moscow of the 50s or possibly Pyongyang in North Korea today. It was a city with a reputation. And today we pick up uh, the events with uh, Jonah back on dry land, and he follows his way across the Syrian em empire and ends up in, uh, in Nineveh. Jonah gets a recall. God calls to Jonah a second time with essentially the same mission, go. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you, says God. And this time, this, this time Jonah goes. He goes to this big city, over 100,000 population for the for this city or for the region of this city. A massive area. Uh, not far off half the population of Coventry. That's, that's where he was going. And Jonah preaches what must be one of the shortest sermons in history. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's, that's all we're told of his message. And uh, maybe we'll get Jonah along on, a, on one of our Sunday meetings in an effort to get shorter sermons. Who knows? But uh, it almost seems a parody of a sermon. He doesn't even mention God. And likewise, it's clear that Jonah's not the most perfect of prophets and it's not the most sensational of sermons but God is a but Jonah is obedient in what he does he does go to at least eventually to where God wants him and he does say finally what God wants him to say so let's see what happens next if we just close the slides uh, for a moment please Jonathan okay thank you it's staggering that the Ninevites believe in God. This huge population, we're told they believed. Even the king, who's probably quite a hard case being in charge of this place, they believed in God. But should we be surprised? Unlike our words, God's words come with his breath, his Holy Spirit. With his words, things happen. As, as these words we have from uh, the book of Isaiah. God said through Isaiah, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word, that's God's word, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Perhaps we should remember that God did all his creation through his words, through his speaking at the beginning of time. And in Revelation, in chapter 19, we have a picture at the end of time when Christ as king defeats the forces of evil, which is just the power of his word. 
when God's word is spoken, things happen. People are changed. God achieves his purposes. And it should be obvious to us as when it rains, the ground gets wet. When the ground gets wet, it brings nourishes, nourishment to uh, what is planted so that that grows and crop, crops flourish and harvests come forth and bread can be made and food sustains life. We may not see it. We may not see what God's words accomplish. But we should not think that God's words have no effect. And Jonah's words, they may say more than we think. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown, destroyed, thrown down, obliterated. That's the obvious meaning. Clearly what Jonah meant and how, how folks there reacted. But overthrown can also mean thrown upside down, changed out of recognition. So let's, uh, let's just see what happens next. In Nineveh, we're told that four things happened. Everyone, all of society, from the poshest to the poorest, everyone, where everyone was impacted. No one missed this message. No one was left unaffected. And they believed. They believed God. It's true, we don't know all the details of what they believed. We don't have detailed doctrinal statements or membership covenants. We don't have all the trimmings and small print, but they certainly believed. We know by what they did. They believed they were on 40 days notice. They spotted that he gave notice. He gave mercy in the sense that God waited. He waited for a response. As a perfect judge, God was entitled to deliver his verdict and his punishment all at the same time. But no, he waited. And God waits now, God pauses now, in the time before Christ returns, in the time that we have in our life. God waits to see what, what is our response to him? What is the response for all those who hear his word? And respond they did. The, the folks in the Ninevites, they called a fast. They didn't sort of give up and, or run away. They made a demonstration that they were taking God seriously. They they put off their parties, they postponed their pizzas, they, they gave up what they were entitled to. They delayed having good times with friends to having a serious time with God. And more, they, they put on sackcloth, a sign of back then of, of mourning, of sorrow, of funerals, a recognition of sin and a broken and lost relationship with God. They set aside their fine clothes and their status. They recognised they, they weren't deserving of, of such good things. And we hear about the king. Jonah doesn't actually meet up with the king himself, but the king hears and sees what's going on. And the king does four things. He steps away from his throne. He humbles himself. He steps down from his seat of judgment recognizing that God is a, a higher judge. He lays aside his royal robes. He sets aside his symbols of kingship. He acknowledges that God is his king. He also dresses with sackcloth, that sign of sorrow and mourning and loss and, and recognition of, 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 of sin. And he goes 
further, he goes and sits in the dust and, dust and ashes. He recognises that he is dust and returns to dust. And the king proclaims four things. He announces and calls the, the people to, to do four things. He calls them all to fast, if they're not already doing that. And he takes it even further. He calls everyone to have their animals to fast. And that, that seems really strange. Um, I know my own dog would really complain at this. He would strenuously object. And, and maybe, that's, maybe that's the point. He's calling for a fast to the, to the max, to the extreme. And all the complaining animals, the howling hungry dogs, will all be a big reminder that this is a time of sorrow. This is a time of serious stuff. Again, the, call, the king calls everyone to wear their sackcloth. Again, to turn away from wrong attitudes and back to humility. And he goes, again, he goes further. He, he calls for two things of, to turn towards to turn towards doing good and turn away from wickedness, turning more towards actions that God wants. And he also decrees to call out to God, to turn to God in prayer, turn to God and speak to him. And a sense of desperation, of earnestness, of seriousness. They believe God is someone who will listen. They look to him. They're not sure what God's going to do, but they look to him and cry out to him. They turn away from what they were doing and they turn to God instead. And what did Jesus have to say about this? We read in Luke 11 and also Matthew 12. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And Jesus and the, and the, the Gospels tell us the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgments with this generation and condemn it. For they, that's the Ninevites, they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah doesn't use the word repent, but Jesus does. And my understanding is Jesus is confirming that you know, that will, that's what was going on. Jesus contrasts the, the violent Gentiles of Nineveh, who did repent, after hearing the, the preaching of a chap, maybe not the greatest prophet, and the Pharisees who supposedly already knew their scriptures, and they stood and they heard preaching of the very Son of God, and yet with those benefits, those Pharisees refused to repent. Jesus reminds us how much more than a prophet he is. He's more than a preacher. Jesus not only explains and shows us what God is like and how to turn around and follow him. Jesus actually provides us with the way, the way to repent, the way to be back and reconciled with God. So how do we repent and believe? How, how do we show others to repent and believe and to come to know Christ? Paul says in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ, hearing the, hearing the message. That's what happened in Nineveh. There was a message and there was someone to preach it and give it. They recognised the holiness and awesomeness of God through that message. 
and we need to also go forth and preach the message of the good news of the gospel. And a reaction, heartfelt sorrow. Jonathan, if I could go to the, uh, the next slide, please. So many. All right, yeah. We must deny ourselves, says Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me, says Jesus. And part of that, Paul explains, is our reaction to what is wrong with us, our sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, you become sorrowful as God intended, and so we're not harmed in any way. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So we need genuine or godly sorrow in that we're sorrowful that we have hurt and offended God. In return for the love he shows us, we throw it back in his face. We come across his authority and sovereignty and we mistrust it and want our own way. We hear his word and not believe it. And we, it's right that we're sorrow, sorrowful for these things, but it's sorrow about going against God. We must be aware of worldly sorrow, sorrowful that we're, we're found out, sorrowful that we've got to live with consequences of what we've done. That may get about as far as remorse, but it's all self-centered. After betraying Jesus, Judas realized he had sinned and was filled rem with remorse. But did he get any further? Because further is where we need to go. We need a change in direction, a, a decision, a decision to follow Jesus. The folks back in Nineveh called out to God earnestly, desperately, and they turned from their wicked ways. They changed what they were doing, their attitudes. They turned, they stopped and turned. And this is what Jesus reminds us. We've got to follow him. We can't sit on the fence. There's no fence to sit on. If we try and go our own way, if we try and save our own life, we lose his eternal life. But if we put aside our life, if we put aside our way of doing things, we will find his wonderful life. It's simple, and yes, it's so challenging. But God is so very much involved in all of this. As Paul says in his letter to Timothy, he talks of God granting repentance. And in the, in, in, in the Acts of the Apostles, Luke talks about God granting repentance that leads to life. God is involved in all of this. Remember, it was him who sent the messenger to Nineveh. It was him who sent the message. It's God reaching out in his love that helps and brings all this to pass. As we learned the other day when we're looking at the Corinthian church, it's God who brings life and growth. But we do need to respond. We do need to encourage others to respond. Jesus says in many places, repent. And Peter preached, repent, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out 
that times of refreshment may come from the Lord. And this is how we turn around. We change direction and come to God. But having come to God, does it, does it stop with, um, with just one prayer or one, one act of reaching out to Jesus? A sad fact about Nineveh is not too many years later, after a few generations, there, were, there was no longer evidence of believers there. And for us, we, we can't rely on our grandparents or parents and their belief in God. We have to turn ourselves and we have to encourage our children and others that we know to repent and turn to God themselves. We can't rely on others. Returning to South Korea, sadly, since the 1990s, the church there has no longer been growing. It's been struggling with, with issues of leaders and corruption and teaching that strayed from, away from the Bible. And so let's come back to Jonah. First, he ran away from God. But then, when he had his fishy moment, he cried out to God. He had an encounter with God. He offered his prayer to God. And back on dry land, he did turn around and this time he did go to where God wanted him to go. He did say what God wanted him to say. And what I find incredible is with, God, with Jonah's track record, he could have uh, sent Jonah home and picked a perfect prophet or a, an amazing angel. But no, God sends Jonah a second time. He gives Jonah a second chance. And we have a Bible full of people where God gives them second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Just think of Abraham, God's chosen father of a new nation, to be the founder of God's special people. And how many times did he tell what might be called lies, I think? He was certainly a devious character at times. And Moses, the, the, the lawgiver, the, the prophet who took the people of Israel out of slavery and all the way to the promised land. He was a murderer. And the last thing he wanted to do was to preach God's word. And we come to Peter, one of uh, Jesus's top guys. And he denied Jesus. But the Lord gave them all second chances and third chances and fourth chances. He just asks that we, that we repent, that we express our sorrow, that we turn back to him, that we acknowledge that we've our disobedience and that we follow him again. And so just as God turned around and saved an entire city full of people, in his grace, he can save on a scale that's way beyond what we can imagine. We look out and we see the town of Kenilworth and the, the country around about, and we, we wonder and we pray, but God can do beyond what we can imagine. God can turn around nations and towns 
and people, just as God reached into the heart of the king of the, this evil empire and brought him to himself, brought him to issue that incredible proclamation. God can save people that we know, that we think are just so far from God. God can do more than we can know or imagine. God can reach people and bring them to himself, bring them in repentance. And we should remember too that um, we can get it wrong as we seek to follow God's ways, as we seek to lead people to Christ. We can get it wrong too. And yeah, if we can come to the next uh, slide, please, John. And as God gives us more chances to grow in him, to go where he sends, to take the message of his amazing and powerful word, his word that changes people, Paul reminds us that we are Christ's ambassadors. God makes his appeal through us. As we seek to follow God, he sends us with his message. And God, God's message to everyone is be reconciled to God, to turn to him in repentance. The people in Nivea show what that repentance can look like, how it can be done. And we can, and Jesus gives us a way, a way to be reconciled to God. And as with the thousands in Nineveh, the millions in Seoul, repentance, saying sorry, and turning to God through Jesus is the way to that wonderful reconciliation. So let us go forward, go forward the, with the wonderful message of the gospel that the Lord shares with us. Because through God's word, his purposes are worked out. People's hearts are changed. People are brought to repentance. People come back to him. And all for God's glory. Amen.